Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as we have mentioned in real time, when you are hearing this, if you're listening on Publish Day, Jessica is here visiting me. Well, traveling, probably, because in real time, it is Wednesday, the 12th, and so she'll be here tomorrow in my time. And she's getting here in the evening. We're both so excited to see each other and can't wait. But with that said, since we are going to be spending time together for the next almost two weeks, we decided this would be a great time for the next two Thursdays to showcase some of our awesome podcast friends. Now, today we have Crimeaholics featured, and you may have heard of us talk about them on a previous episode. They are great. Be sure to check them out. And here is what we have in store for today's case. So in July of 2016, Lashea Stein was a smart high school student who was set to graduate high school early and begin pursuing her dreams of becoming a nurse. In the early morning hours of July 15th, she would vanish in Aurora, Colorado. With many sightings and tips pointing towards Lashea being a trafficking victim, her family fights for her and are still hopeful she's alive today. Like I said, we are showcasing a couple of our podcast friends this Thursday and next, but your girls will be back on Monday with a regular episode. So let's go ahead and get into this and listen to Lashea's story told by Holly. Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am back with another Missing Monday. Today's episode is probably going to be on the longer end of things because there is a lot of information to get out, but this case is extremely important because it is very heavily believed and speculated that this victim is a victim of human trafficking and that she is now being forced into sex work. I'm not going to ramble on too much at the beginning of this episode, but let me just start by saying Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing person's name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. With these cases, we always hope that the episode will land in the right hands and someone will hear the stories that we have covered and realize that they have information that they didn't realize was important. 
Once more, today's case is one that is heavily speculated that human trafficking is likely what happened to this young lady. So without further ado, let's get into the disappearance of Lashea Stein. In 2016, Lashea Stein was just 16 years old and lived in Aurora, Colorado with her family. She's described as being a very kind and bright young lady who loved her family dearly, and she was very close with all of her siblings and her mom, Sabrina Jones. Now, Sabrina had six children in total. She had five boys and only one daughter, Lashea. In school, Lashea thrived, and at the time of her disappearance, she was actually set to graduate high school early, and she was attending George Washington High School as an honor roll student. This is something that is a huge achievement, but Lashea wanted more and had dreams to become a nurse, and she was well on her way to accomplishing those dreams. She also had just got set up with an internship at University Hospital that she was supposed to start just days after she had gone missing. Lashea was very bright and smart with so much going for her, but her family also said that she could be very naive at times, which I think for many of us, we can all agree that some point in time in our teenage years, we all were super naive. I think that's something everyone goes through, even if it's just for a brief time. So many of us want to see the good in people and the good in society and don't always see the risks in some of our behaviors and the decisions that we make. As adults, we get exposed to those dangers of the world and we know to be aware of things like we do. But at 16, Lashea just wanted to enjoy life and she didn't really think beyond about what she was doing or the possibilities of where it could lead her. She would often ask her mom if she can go out to parties with her friends where there wouldn't be any parents or adults that were responsible present. And Sabrina really tried to educate her daughter on the dangers that could happen and encourage her daughter to stay away from those types of things or to put herself in those positions. But once more, we all know what it's like to be a teenager with parents or adults lecturing us and telling us things. I know for me, it was always in one ear and out the other and a few yeah, yeah, yeahs in between. I never thought anything could happen to me. I never thought that the situations that I put myself in were dangerous. But let me tell you, I can name quite a few of these times off the top of my head that now as an adult and a parent myself, I sit back and think, what were you thinking? But even though Sabrina encouraged and talked to her daughter about the dangers of things, she did allow Lashea the freedom to still be a teenager. So it wasn't like she had this tight, controlling hold on her daughter, but more so she just encouraged her daughter to make the right decisions and do the right things. And again, she just wanted to educate her daughter on the dangers that are out there. And not to mention, there are several areas in the Aurora area that are known to be very rough. There are a few areas that are known for gang activity, sex work, and drugs. 
And being a young and naive teen who easily believes anything and wants to see the good in everything, it's easy to find yourself mixed up in something that you didn't quite realize was what it was until it's too late. And that's what is believed to have happened to Lashea. And it is believed that she was lured out of her home in the early morning hours of July 15th, 2016. So let's get into the details leading up to her disappearance. On the night of July 14th, Lashea and her family were doing what they normally did together on the evenings. They were staying up late, they were hanging out as a family, and they all called it a night sometime between 1 and 2 a.m. on what would have then been the 15th of July, so the early morning hours of the 15th. Everyone was in good spirits, but Lashea and her mom were super upbeat and excited because Lashea was set to have an interview at 1 p.m. at a sandwich shop called Firehouse Subs. Lashea was super nervous, but she also was very excited for this interview. So they all go to bed, and later that morning, Sabrina begins texting her daughter, asking her, hey, are you awake? Are you getting yourself up? Are you getting ready for your interview? And so on. But Lashea never texted back. When she didn't hear back from Lashea, Sabrina called one of Lashea's older brothers to have him go knock on his sister's door and to make sure that she was out of bed. When he entered his sister's room, he found her room to be empty. So he started looking around the house thinking that perhaps Lashea was somewhere else within the home, but she was nowhere to be found. Panic instantly set in for Sabrina because this was very out of character for her daughter. Lashea was not the type to go somewhere without letting family know where she was headed, and she typically made sure to check in also when she was out. So to find that her room was empty and she was nowhere in the house, alarm bells were ringing immediately. Sabrina repeatedly called Lashea's phone and she didn't answer. Now, when she first started to call the phone, it would ring and ring and ring and then voicemail would pick up. But the fourth or so time that Sabrina tried calling, the phone instantly went to voicemail. And then from that moment on, the phone would always go straight to voicemail when called, which this made everybody feel worse. First, you're calling your child's phone and it rings. For then it to just stop ringing and then going straight to voicemail, which this likely indicated that the phone was either powered off or possibly the battery had died. But I feel like with the repeated phone calls that someone powered it down. So as I said, Lashea was typically really good about checking in and communicating with her family on her whereabouts. But just prior to Lashea going missing, there was an incident where they didn't know where she was. Once more, she was supposed to be at home, but she wasn't, so her family went out looking for her in the neighborhood, and after about 20 or so minutes of searching, she did turn up. Now, I'm not really sure of the details on that specific incident. I'm not sure if they figured out why exactly she left or if it was some sort of miscommunication, but I know that her mom and family were hopeful that once more she would turn up again like she had the previous time. 
After searching for Lachea for a while and completely being unable to locate her, Sabrina decided that she needed to call the Aurora Police Department. When she reported Lachea as missing, the Aurora Police Department really didn't respond quickly at first. Like a lot of police departments, the Aurora PD kind of assumed that Lachea was a teenage girl who decided to run away from home. They were under the impression that Lachea would likely just turn up, and so they told Sabrina that they'd take the missing persons report over the phone, and they also told her that if and when they could spare a moment, they'd send an officer over to the house, but it wouldn't be immediately, just whenever they had some free time. This is very frustrating and very unfortunate that her family was left pretty much alone to try and locate Lachea by themselves. So with no help from the police department, her family started racking their brains on what they could do to try and find her. And the first thing that they did was they logged into her computer and went to Google so that they could try and see if they could locate her phone which this was uh, very smart on their part. And for those of you that aren't aware, if someone has their Google locations on, on their phone, you can usually find the phone's location through the Google Avenue. I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with the Find My iPhone feature on iPhones. It's kind of like that from what I've gathered, but with Google. And it can show you almost like a location history for the phone. So if you're ever in a situation, don't forget to utilize Google. Unfortunately, though, for Lachea's family, they were unable to see her location due to that setting not being turned on. So from here, they pulled up her phone's activities, such as the call log, and they started writing down all of the numbers that she had been communicating with via text or phone calls. And they called a long list of numbers and still no answers on her whereabouts. After hitting a dead end with the phone calls, they logged into her social media accounts and they were hopeful that they were going to find some sort of information or contact that she had with someone where she talked about going somewhere or making plans to see someone. After a few hours of their own investigation work, including knocking on doors in the neighborhood and walking around, and of course the phone stuff they attempted to do, authorities finally showed up at their home and began asking questions. They wanted to speak directly with Sabrina and ask her some questions, and they also wanted to check out Lachea's room and see if there was anything of importance in there. Upon entering her room, there was nothing that was missing other than Lachea. She hadn't taken any of her belongings, she didn't take a bag of clothes, her makeup, her charger for her phone, nothing personal was missing from her room, which indicates to me and everyone else that when she left, she wasn't planning on being gone long. She wasn't running away because what teenage girl would leave behind key items like clothing, makeup, and a phone charger if she was planning on leaving? On top of that, her wallet was there as well as money. If you were planning to run off, you'd at least have taken money to be able to survive at least for some time. So this did not appear to be a runaway situation. 
While inside her bedroom, authorities also noticed that her bedroom window had been unlocked. Now, Lachea's bedroom was located on the basement level of the home. This window was one that was easily one that you could get in and out of for safety reasons being on the basement level. But outside of the window, she had always had this heavy grate that was always on top of the window, and then there was this potted plant that sat on top of the grate. When they looked further at her window, the grate was where it always was, but the plant had been moved to the side. Now, because of this finding with the window being left unlocked and the plant not put back in place, they believed that Lachea did in fact leave at some point in the night on her own to sneak out. Now, her mom thinks that Lachea had left out of a door in the house, but she had planned to sneak back in through her window. Her mom believes that something had happened that possibly prevented Lachea to get back inside the house, and her mom felt that because the plant was moved, that Lachea had come home, tried to get back in, but maybe the grate was too heavy, and so she either went to go back to where she was at previously, or she had gone somewhere else. Authorities still were thinking that this was a runaway. And if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know runaway children often are brushed to the side. They're labeled as bad kids right off the bat. They're running away. They'll eventually surface on their own. So the authorities pretty much left it labeled as a runaway situation and did nothing for the case for about a week. Once more, Lachea's family was left trying to figure out what to do next and how to search for her. They were able to get a missing persons flyer made thanks to the help of an organization that helps families in these situations, and they also started passing those out, hanging them up wherever they could, and they also did their own questioning of people within the area, trying to get any kind of answers. The family started receiving tips and they began literally working their own case and following up all leads and tips that were called into them from that missing persons flyer. Which I want to say, I admire this family so much for not sitting back idle and waiting for authorities to step up to the plate. They really put in work for Lachea. Now, during this entire time that they're doing their search, they continue to monitor her social media for any activity, but there was none. Nor did she ever return home, and her phone activity also never resumed. So, as I said, the Aurora police didn't really do much for this case for the first full week, until the police chief showed up at the family home a week later. When he arrived there, he pretty much apologized to Sabrina, and I guess apparently this police chief had been on vacation the entire first week, and when he got back and saw Lachea's report, he was not pleased with the way her missing persons case had been handled. When he got back and first initially looked over the report, it was apparent to him that this was more than a runaway. And from this moment on, they were fully invested in the search for Lachea. 
With the police finally on board with this situation, they started to move quickly in their search, and they were able to uncover a key piece of evidence that they released to the public. They uncovered CCTV footage of Lachea from that night. She was caught on camera not far from her home at the intersection of East Montview Boulevard and Peoria Street, and she was seen at around 2.40 a.m. It's believed that Lachea waited up after her family turned in for the night and waited for everyone to fall asleep before she left the home. Now, in this CCTV footage, you can see Lachea walking alone down the sidewalk, and the way she's walking, it appears like she knows exactly where she's headed. There is one lone car that can be seen on the street, and they appear to be stopped at a stoplight. She kind of looks around to check both ways for cars before she crosses the street behind the stopped car. Now, they didn't release the full footage from this video and just shared this small clip. So it doesn't show if she got into this car or if she continued down the street or what exactly she was doing or where exactly she went. And of course, there are rumors where people believe that Lachea got into this car and that the car had been there waiting for her. But in my opinion, given the small amount of footage that was released, it appeared to me that she had just crossed the street and continued to travel in the direction that she had been traveling in. Not to mention, the distance behind the car that she crossed also appeared to me that it wasn't someone that she was meeting up with. She didn't cross directly behind the car. It was a good bit behind the car. And not to mention, had she been meeting someone in this car, I feel that she would have taken the crosswalk that the car was parked at for that light it was waiting for. But again, authorities obviously know the direction she traveled in or if she got in that car. But I would think that had she been seen getting into that car, they would have released that information of a potential car, make and model to look out for, but they didn't. I will have the link to the video of this footage in the description of this episode if you decide you want to check it out and see for yourself. I will also have the still images from the video to share on our social medias as well. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts about this little tidbit, though. So with this video in hand, authorities were able to narrow down some of the timeline and the direction that Lachea was headed. It also gave them a direction to begin searching in and to begin asking if anyone had witnessed anything. They were also hopeful that other people within this area had other CCTV footage that they were able to collect to get more details. When the authorities released this footage to the media and began circulating it around, the tips started flooding the tip line with some very unsettling information. Many of the tips came in surprisingly mirrored each other. And these tips had said that a man had taken Lachea and that she was being drugged and forced into sex work. 
Usually when tips come in, there's a lot of information ranging from one extreme to the other. And as you can imagine, some of these calls that police get during these investigations are very wild. But it was very, very, very unsettling that a lot of these tips literally were saying the same exact thing. So they felt that this was something that they thoroughly needed to look into. With this in mind, they also wanted to rule out the possibility that her circle of friends may have known something or they did something. She was a smart 16-year-old girl with so much going for her. It almost seemed incomprehensible that she could have connected with someone that could have lured her into this sex trafficking trap. So they really started working with that circle of friends, and this led them to Lachea's ex-boyfriend. This kid, there's a lot of conflicting information about him, Apparently, some of her friends had claimed that he and Lachea had dated, while some of her other friends said that they didn't, and Lachea's mom said that she was never introduced to this kid as her boyfriend, and that it was always said that he was just a friend. But he would come over to the house, and they'd hang out for a while, and then he would kind of fall off the radar, and she would quit talking about him. And then all of a sudden, this kid would come around again. She'd be talking about him again. So again, there's conflicting details on the actual relationship between Lachea and this boy. But they wanted to make sure that they ruled him out as someone that she may have been with on that night, or maybe she had planned to meet up with him, or maybe he was hiding her out somewhere. And they ultimately wanted to rule out that something didn't happen and he panicked and did something with her body. So he was brought in for questioning and they were able to obtain his cell phone and look through it as well as his cell phone records. Authorities found that he had had zero communication with Lachea on that night, and he hadn't spoken with her at all in the week leading up to her going missing, so he was ruled out. They also spoke with all of Lachea's friends, and they all stated that they hadn't spoken with her, nor had any of them made any plans to meet up with her on that night. Nobody knew of anyone that she had been secretly speaking with, and Sabrina was familiar with all of Lachea's friends. They were literally stumped as who she could have met up with because in her phone, there were no strange numbers or communication happening that they could find within those records and on her social media accounts as well. In an interview that Sabrina did with Marissa from The Vanished Podcast, she said that the police started bringing her these pictures and names of individuals asking her if she knew who they were. And these people ranged from young girls and boys that were roughly Lachea's age, as well as older men. And apparently they were pictures of people who all somehow knew Lachea but nobody in their family knew who these people were, and they weren't anyone that Lachea went to high school with. The names weren't familiar to Sabrina or her other children. These weren't people who visited the home. These were literal strangers that somehow Lachea had known. 
And what was even more scary was these older men that somehow Lachea knew and somehow they were linked to her in some way, shape, or form. And this was very, very unsettling for Sabrina because not only were these people potentially involved in whatever happened to her daughter, but these people are complete strangers to her and yet Lachea knew them, which made Sabrina wonder what more was her daughter hiding that she didn't know about. These are clearly people that Lachea never mentioned to her mom. Had she met someone who had bad intentions and she somehow kept it from her family? In that podcast episode, Sabrina really didn't talk much about this revelation, but it does make me wonder if something ever came of it or if authorities are keeping things kind of close to the vest for reasons. It was around this time that the theory of Lachea being a potential trafficking victim really started to snowball. That theory was looking more and more likely to authorities. All of these tips I had mentioned earlier all mentioned one specific man that Lachea had been with and was forced into sex trafficking by. And those tips also seemed to kind of line up with some of the other tips and sightings that they had received. Many people had started calling in about seeing Lachea at random parties in the middle of the night. She was also seen at bus stops late at night, run-down motels, and a lot of very sketchy and questionable areas. A lot of these people who claimed to have seen Lachea also recalled seeing her with an older man and another young girl, which is something you often see with trafficking. The way traffickers lure and find their victims is disgusting. They target naive and vulnerable people, and Lachea seemed to fit that bill being a young and trusting female. They also work hard to gain the trust of their victims. A lot of times they'll pretend to be a friend or a potential boyfriend. They use lies and manipulation to get their victims where they want them. With the fact that Lachea was clearly keeping secrets about these friends and company she was keeping, it makes me wonder what the reasoning was. There had to have been some reason as to why nobody within her family or circle of friends knew who these people were. Had she been manipulated to keep their friendship a secret? There had to have been something going on that Lachea had known that her mother wouldn't approve of with these people. Potentially, it was just their company, but with the fact that some older men were also a part of this secret she had kept, it makes me wonder if Lachea was dabbling in some underage drinking, maybe smoking some marijuana, or doing other drugs. Of course, this is absolutely just speculation. What we know about Lachea was that she was a bright young lady who was a great student and a great daughter and sister. But there's just a lot of questions as to why these specific friends were never talked about or introduced to her family. The tactics of these traffickers are really thought out, and sometimes they even use other trafficking victims to lure their next victim. So there's so many possibilities here as to who Lachea could have met and what their true intentions were. 
Unfortunately, traffickers are very good at isolating their victims. And when they finally take them, they often do not leave any kind of trace behind. And that is likely why there was literally nothing on her phone that they could find to lead them in a direction of any kind of answers. This person could have set up a specific time when they saw her last in person, or who knows, they may have given her a burner phone as well to communicate with them with. The possibilities of the tactics used are endless. So when the authorities began trying to follow up on those tips and leads that they got about one man being the one who had taken Lashea, every single person who gave this tip all refused to give up this person's name and pretty much shut down. Now, to me, the fact that all of these people said, oh, Lashea is with this man, and then refused to say who this man was, this makes me believe that this person had some sort of power, and that power was scary enough that people wouldn't admit who he was. Which for me makes red flags go flying, as I'm sure you all can agree that this is super sus. Authorities and even Lachea's family begged and pleaded for a name, but they never got one. And what is even more strange is a few months after she went missing, the tips and the sightings completely stopped. Which this was odd because of the fact that from the moment the media got a hold of this story and that CCTV footage, the tips were pouring in. And then for them to just stop completely was very mind-blowing for authorities. Of course, tips will slow down after the beginning of an investigation, but to completely stop is very unusual. But while they were scratching their heads wondering why the tips stopped, a few months went by, and then all of a sudden, they started pouring in again. Once more, these tips and sightings were very similar to the previous ones. Lachea was seen at various different sketchy places, and some of the tipsters had said things like she had temporarily been taken to Kansas or other places in Colorado, and then she was brought back to the Aurora area. This kind of corroborated with that theory of trafficking. When traffickers feel like the authorities are closing in on them, they will do things like leave the area, leave the state, and move their victims with them so they will go undetected. Authorities went around and around and tried their very best to follow up on all of these leads and sightings, and it literally took them to several states ranging from Nevada to New Mexico to Missouri, Arizona, many places. They were literally going wild with trying to find Lachea. It was around this time that the family got an offer from a man that really helped get their hopes up. This man was a known local pimp in the Aurora area, and he had reached out to the family and made an offer to them to watch out for Lachea. He claimed that he had seen her on many occasions, and he was aware of who she was with, and that this man was extremely dangerous. 
He told the family that the next time he saw Lashea, he would give them a call and then they could be the ones to contact authorities. And then hopefully the authorities would respond and get there to rescue her. This pimp also told the family that Lashea was always supervised and had eyes on her at all times. This was likely due to the fact that her investigation was very active and very public. The authorities' efforts in finding Lashea were broadcasted, so whoever had taken her likely had known to be extra cautious because they obviously didn't want to get caught. And then another huge tip came in and once more goes to further support this trafficking theory. Someone who had been at the Seven Star Motel in Aurora had called Lachea's family and said that they were very positive that they had seen her at the motel. This motel is no longer in business, but at that time, it was known to be a very popular spot for pimps and sex work and a lot of other illegal activity. It was a very rundown motel that was pretty much just used for this illegal activity. And this also explains why it is now permanently closed. Now, this sighting for the family was probably one of the most significant ones for them. This person who claimed to have seen Lachea at that motel told the family that he knew it was her without a doubt because of the scar she had on her chest. Apparently, when Lachea was a young girl, she had been stung or bit by something smack dab square in the middle of her chest, and it had gotten infected, which caused it to have a noticeable scar when it finally healed. And this scar was apparently about a quarter-sized round scar. This was something that had been included on the missing posters for her, and it had been circulating throughout the community so that people knew to watch for it. And this guy who called the family swore up and down that he knew it was her because of that scar he had seen on her chest. Not only did he say he saw Lachea, but he gave the family the room number that she was in. So her family immediately called authorities and they rushed down to the Seven Star Motel. Her family also went to the motel, and of course they had to stay back, but they wanted to see if it truly was her, and if it was, they wanted to be one of the first faces that she saw when she was rescued. When authorities got to the motel and kicked in the door for the room, the room was empty, and whoever had been there had already left. But inside of the room, they did find some girls' clothing left behind and a few other items. Now, I'm not sure, but I do hope that authorities took the clothing items from the room to potentially test for DNA to compare it to Lachea's to kind of positively identify if it really was her. I would hope that they also tried to follow up on who the room was last checked out to, but... I'm going to assume that given the condition of this motel and the dealings that clearly went on there, that the room wasn't checked out under a name and was paid for in cash. And if it was checked out under a name, I'm going to guess that it was likely a false name. 
Now, this motel did have some residents that lived there continuously, and they obviously watched all of this play out. And many of them said that the authorities arrived five minutes too late. It is believed that the trafficker or whoever was in charge had been tipped off that the authorities were on their way. And they got her into a different motel across the street. And then a few minutes after moving her into that motel, they put her into the back of a dark colored SUV and took off. All of this is so infuriating because it seems like every single time that they're closing in, somehow these traffickers are one step ahead and move her. Now, this might be completely out of left field, but how would they have known that authorities had been tipped off? It makes me wonder if there is someone on the inside that potentially is working with them and communicating things to whoever has her so that they're always one step ahead. Of course, once more, that is just speculations, but crazier things have happened in these types of cases. We see online all the time about different busts that are happening, people within very trusted positions like teachers or cops or firefighters or even Disney workers being a part of huge sex trafficking stings. So it's not completely out of left field to wonder if someone at the top somewhere is tipping off these traffickers. I have so many questions. I mean, this all could just be a crazy coincidence, and all of these people who are saying they saw her could potentially all be wrong or be lying, but that's a whole slew of people from all different walks of life coming forward saying they've seen her and having tips to hand over. I just have a hard time believing that this is anything other than a trafficking situation. My heart absolutely breaks for Sabrina and the rest of Lachea's family. I can't imagine the thought of waking up every day thinking that someone has your baby drugged up and forced into sex work all within your own town. How utterly heartbreaking also to feel like you're so close that your baby will be coming home soon only to once more be let down and told that you potentially literally just missed her. And then Sabrina gets just one more piece of heartache when she learns of a young girl showing up at a local Aurora Outreach Center. This center brings in young women and young girls who are living on the streets. And their mission with their center is to help get these women and children off the streets and back on their feet. This teenage girl walked into this outreach center and said that I need help, I have been trafficked, and I escaped from a man who had been trafficking me. And then she said that he had been trafficking me with Lachea. This young girl who literally just escaped being trafficked specifically named Lachea as someone she had been with. This just makes me extremely emotional that this girl was able to get out and that she specifically named Lachea as someone that she had been with. On top of knowing Lachea by name, she also said that Lachea had said that she wanted to go home, that she wanted to leave and get out of the sex work that she was being forced to do. 
Unfortunately, after the motel incident and this girl turning up, the tips and the sightings slowly stopped. And it's likely that Lachea was moved to a new area, potentially across state lines. Every single time that a lead would come in or a tip would come in, authorities responded quickly and followed up with it. They brought in multiple agencies to aid in their research, including the FBI, and each time one of these new sightings or tips came in, it was quickly ruled out. And the case really died down and remained that way for several years until randomly in November of 2020, the FBI began searching a vacant home in Aurora. This home was located at 2200 Lansing Street in Aurora, Colorado. Now, they claimed that back when Lachea had gone missing, she had known someone who lived in this house. Authorities didn't mention who, but they claimed that whomever lived there, she knew them and then they moved out and a new family then moved in. And pretty much the authorities had to, I guess, wait until that new family moved out to be able to go in and conduct the searches how they wanted to. Now, I will say that it is rumored that this house was lived in by Lachea's ex-boyfriend, and I couldn't really find a lot of details on that. Uh, I did want to just make sure I mentioned it, take it for, you know, kind of what it is, know that it's kind of a rumor, speculation, and don't 100% bank on that because I am not for sure for sure, but it was said that the ex-boyfriend who they did initially rule out lived there. They also claimed that some new tips had come in to make them want to once more look further into this house, but they declined to give any kind of further details about what those tips were. The search of this home took place for several days, and along with local authorities, the FBI was brought in as well, and they also had dogs on scene sniffing around the house as well. And then on the third day of the search, the Aurora Fire Department was also seen on scene. And the firefighters did not come empty-handed. They had a lot of heavy equipment that was known to be used to cut concrete, including jackhammers. It had appeared that they were working to dig up and look through the basement of this home. People could be seen in the backyard sifting through concrete that had been broken up. They were looking at huge slabs of concrete that were brought up. But authorities were keeping their lips sealed shut on if they were finding anything or what exactly led them back to this house. The Denver Post reported that some kind of evidence was found inside of this home, but they wouldn't again say what. Just before the third day of searching this home concluded, a black car backed into the garage of the home and then the garage door was shut. About a minute later, the black car was then seen leaving. So this car was likely transporting whatever that evidence they thought they found and they didn't want people to see what it was. It was also stated that this evidence was being sent off for testing. This article was published two years ago, and there hasn't been any kind of update on the case since then. So I'm not sure if their evidence was nothing or perhaps it was something and they're still working on building their case. 
with the amount of tips and what appeared to be close calls on finding her, I feel like there is a very high chance that she is still out there somewhere. In the description of this episode, I'm going to link several different websites that have resources, facts, and information about human trafficking. There are so many tactics and ways that these traffickers lure and keep their victims. I know we often think of victims as being chained and bound physically to stay, but what we don't realize is the literal mental game that they play with their victims so that they're scared to try and escape or to speak out when they're out in public. It's extremely sad the mental abuse that these people go through, and the best way to stop this and to stop people we know and love from becoming victims is to educate ourselves and our loved ones. So please check out these websites and share it with your teens. It's important to have these talks and teach these tactics and stuff with our young teens and young adults that are a part of our lives. Shoot, even younger kids than teenagers. It's just so important to protect ourselves. And the best thing we can do to protect ourselves is to educate ourselves. At the time of her disappearance, Lashea Stein was 16 years old, and she would now be 22 years old. At the time of her disappearance, she was around 150 pounds, and it is not uncommon for trafficking victims to lose weight. So keep that in mind when searching for her in the crowd. She stands at about 5'6", and she is an African-American female. She has black hair, brown eyes, and that quarter-sized round scar on her chest. At the time that she went missing, her hair was styled in cornrows, but of course can be worn any kind of way by now. She was last seen wearing a white long-sleeved shirt, black stone-washed jeans, silver metal hoop earrings, and a silver metal watch on her left wrist. She was last seen on July 15, 2016 in the 1600 block of North Peoria Street. If you or anyone you know has information on her whereabouts, you can contact the Aurora Police Department at 303-627-3100. Crimeaholics, if you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, you can find it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. You can also follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast, and if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at the same username of crimeaholics.podcast. Lastly, if you wish to follow myself personally on Instagram to keep up with what I'm doing in life, you can find me at Crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missy Monday. I will be back Friday with another full-length episode for you. But until then, be aware and take care. Mm-hmm.